listeners. Hi, welcome. I am getting more excited by the second because Emily and I are in Oathbringer. I I have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and I finally get to read it. I like, honestly, not that I thought we'd never get here, but I thought the odds of us losing steam were potentially high or like getting waylaid by life and stuff. Because Emily, we've been recording podcasts for three years. Yes, I'm so proud of us. Gosh, me too. Oh, so listeners, welcome to a whole new book. A this whole is my new sister. Book. That's this where is... Megan and I are. Thank you. <laughs> and with a Dalinar point of view. <laughs> first off emily megan we're starting a new playlist yes and i'm putting a a song at the beginning that doesn't have to do with this reading but you should know that the playlist is going to start with mama mia here we go again (laughs) again Again. (laughs) because that was the start of our last playlist so so that'll be the opener oathbringer playlist but oh my gosh Listeners, we're we're jumping into Oathbringer, both feet all the way through. This week we are reading Prologue to Weep, Chapter One, Broken and Divided, Chapter Two, One Problem Solved, and Chapter Three, Momentum. Hey, Emily, Megan. Uh, uh, first impressions, what did you think of these chapters? <gasps> like, they were good, but once we hit the Delinar flashback, I was like, <laughs> I had a suspicion you would enjoy that. <laughs> Is this the book that we get to see Dalinar's butt? This is the book that talks about Dalinar's butt more than any other book does. So Wonderful. keep an eye out for that ass. All right. Hi, Prince Delinar's coming into your podcast. Get a look at his arse. <laughs> <gasps> oh my gosh, Emily. So, can I look at the back of the book? Do you know what? I don't know. I don't have my back cover. Hold it up to the camera. Go down a little bit. Go down. A little further. A little further. Okay, pause. Okay, hold up the book by about an inch. It's a heavy book. I know. What? <laughs> I don't I'm know not... who all of these people... Oh, wait, yes, I do. Do you know what? Yeah. Do you know what? Read the back of the book. Tell I'm me what gonna... you think. I'm not going to read the oh. back of the book. I just want to see if there's a picture <laughs> on the <this. laughs> I was reading the summary to see if it was too spoilery. No, I'm covering up the summary. I just want to okay, see... Okay, yeah. Look at the back of the book. Okay. That's it's nothing. just an extension of the front cover. Yeah. But let's start talking about the front cover. Who's on it? Yes, Nicole Lynn. Um, once her... again, we have... Oh, you go. I was going to say, she's got her safe hand on. Um, will you remind me, does it matter which hand they use as a safe hand, or can you flip back and forth? Left hand is the safe hand. Left hand, Do okay. not flip back and forth. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> Do we find out why? Like, why specifically it's always the left hand? So, okay, there was a book mentioned last 
book called Arts and Majesty. Uh, Lynn, the woman who works with the horses, mentioned it. Mm -hmm. And Arts and Majesty was the book that declared what uh, activities were proper for a lady and what activities are proper for a gentleman. Mm -hmm. And in this book, all of the ladies' activities are typically done with one hand. Okay. Sewing, drawing, painting, writing, things like that. Mm -hmm. And all the gentlemanly activities are done with two hands. And I don't think this is addressed specifically in universe, but Brandon has said that over the centuries that got interpreted to mean ladies keep one hand hidden because only ladylike things are done with one hand. So if oh, you're born makes, left-handed, yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. If you're born left-handed, you just got to work to be ambidextrous or else you are out of luck. Okay. Yasna's on the cover. This is another beautiful cover by Michael Wayland and... Um, like each book getting longer, uh, the special thanks, the preface and acknowledgements get longer. Mm -hmm. But here specifically, Brandon thanks Michael Wayland, whose attention to detail has given us an incredibly accurate rendition of Yasna Kalin. I love that she gets a place to shine on the cover of this book, and I continue to feel honored and grateful that Michael takes time away from his gallery work to paint the world of Roshar. So in the word of Brandon that I read you about Kaladin's appearance, mm -hmm. he mentions that the Kaladin on the cover of Words of Radiance isn't perfectly accurate, mm -hmm. that Kaladin's probably a lot more lighter skinned and his features are a little more Caucasian than he would be in the book. So I think the fact that he's called out, this is an accurate representation of Yasna. Brandon actually mentioned in that blog post that I wrote you that we will get better at this in the future. And it looks like he was able to specifically ask for exactly how he imagined Yasna. For her. She's pretty. <laughs> she is very pretty. Uh, I noticed also in the, you know, acknowledgments, he says, finally, thanks to all of you for your support of these books. They don't always come out as quickly as I'd like, but that is in part because I want them to be as perfect as they can get. You hold in your hands a volume I've been preparing and outlining for almost two decades. Like, as I read that line, I got chills down my spine where it's just like, oh, can you imagine him like opening, unboxing his first book, mm -hmm. you know, and just like holding it in his hands and just being like, I did it. Like, oh, I'm so happy for him. I have my fun bit of trivia about this book. Okay. That's... Uh, when Words of Radiance came out, Tor, who publishes the the physical copies of these books, was like, "Okay, Brandon, sorry." And also, you guys, this is this is shortened and summarized and paraphrased for storytelling convenience. This is not literally how it went, but Tor was like, "Okay, Brandon, Words of Radiance was pretty long, buddy, twelve hundred pages, and we physically cannot publish books longer than twelve hundred pages. Will Earthbringer be shorter than that?" And Brandon's like, "Yeah, totally, yes, of course." And the first draft he handed in of Oathbringer was. 1500 pages <laughs> now they did trim that down mm -hmm. but for the printing of Oathbringer, um emily i'm gonna have you flip all the way to about the author because there cannot possibly be spoiler pages on about the author okay and can you tell me how many pages are in your copy of the book hold on hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna lift the corner on the page okay 1,255. Nice. And in my hardback cover, I have 1,243. Mm -hmm. The book is, this is still the longest of the books we've had so far. Mm -hmm. However, 
They've printed it on a thinner paper stock than uh, Words of Radiance or Way mm-hmm. of Kings. And the type is slightly, slightly smaller in order to make the physical book smaller. And if you're like, Ugh, what what sort of restrictions are on the size of a single book that you have to shrink it down? It's not just about the size of the book on the shelf. It's about one, the materials it will take to make all of this mm-hmm. and the shipping costs because shipping cost is determined by weight. And so to be able to print this book and distribute it across the world, just they needed it shorter. And because Brandon and Tor have such a good relationship, he was still able to make the book the length that he wanted it to be. And everybody compromised and made this work. Yay! And now, your name is Megan. That is true. And your name is? Emily. And, Emily, I think I should be getting back to <laughs> maybe doing fan art. What should you be doing? I should be getting... <laughs> I should be getting back to writing my book. But instead... Instead... We're making a podcast. Making a podcast! <laughs> Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. for keeping me on the correct, straight, and narrow path. So, since this is the a new book, I don't know if we have any new listeners. If this is your favorite book and you only wanted to find a podcast about Oathbringer, just so you know... Megan and I are sisters. That Megan is, is the one who has read this. She is a Cosmere junkie. She knows so many more things than I do. And she dragged me into this. And I have also become a fan at this point. But that's what we do. One of the sisters picks something, a movie, a book, a TV show that the other one has refused to watch or read for years. And then we go through it one by one with one person knowing everything, the other person not knowing anything about it and so we have finished the way of kings we did words of radiance and now we're on oathbringer and now that we are in oathbringer emily i'm gonna have you open to the map okay we talked a little bit about the preface you guys should read the preface and the thanks on your own are you open to the map almost okay i was actually going to ask you is this more detailed than the other ones a bit i want you to put your finger on the spine start at the pure lake And I want you to trace downwards about an inch. It might be swallowed a bit in the spine of your book, but can you read what's labeled about an inch south of the Pure Lake? There's Funamir. Little little further down. Oh, Urethiru. There it is. That is where it is is. on the map. All right. So if the world... Are you excited for a book about Urethiru? If the world is so obsessed with symmetry, why is the world not symmetrical? Emily, I am so glad you just asked about the shape of the continent. Oh, you're Because welcome. you are right. This is not a symmetrical shape, although we have mentioned that there are cities whose natural formations are symmetrical. Mm-hmm. This is an Easter egg. Here's a word of Brandon. He mm-hmm. was searching for something for the shape of the map that felt organic but would hint at a pattern. Fractals and mathematical functions became my go-to place to hunt, as I like the blend of structure and spontaneity they can sometimes exhibit. So the map is a slice of a specific uh, mathematical expression called the Julia set. Oh, I don't know what that is. Let me look it up and I will tell you. So a Julia set is a type of fraction, uh, sorry, is a type of fractal 
where points on a map, shapes, are created, Mm -hmm. and no point crosses over any other point. So I'm going to take, I'm going to copy an image of a different Julia set. Um, So while it is not perfectly symmetrical, I'm going to send this to you on Discord. Okay. While it is not perfectly symmetrical, it is a pattern that grows out of itself and continues on. And so you, there are many examples of Julia sets. And so the map of Rochar is actually based off of a slice of the Julia set expressional equation. Yeah, I can totally see that. As the continent was redacted, 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 you now know the redacted that was used in world to redacted. The fact that it looks like a swirling cloud is part of all of this, but also part of the connection in this world between natural patterns and underlying math, which is a primary theme in the Stormlight books. So yes, it should look like a storm, but for deeper reasons than you might assume. So the very specific equation for this Julia set was later determined by the Stormlight Reddit. Okay. In 2016. It's so handy to have you. I like, know, right? Redacted, redacted, redacted. <laughs> so I'm currently watching a Mandarin serial, I guess you'd call it, on Netflix called like Love Between the Fairy and Devil or something like that. And I'm watching it with a friend who speaks Mandarin. And we watch the show in the original language with English subtitles. And every so often she's going, oh, they actually translated that a little differently than what they meant by the pronouns they used or they meant by the honorary they used. And so she will be able to give me a little behind the scenes of just like if you translated it this other way, it would mean something completely different or if it would it would imply something a little different. And it's just fun. It's just fun listening to people talk about the stuff that is interesting to them. Yeah. Oh, so let's, let's wait. Get... No, we have okay, one thing we mind. need to address. What happened? You didn't even acknowledge that I didn't whine and complain when you told me to turn to the map. Because now I know you're so good at it that that wouldn't even cross your mind anymore. Listeners, you know when she did whine and complain? <laughs> <laughs> I said, so between Oathbringer and rhythm of war Mm -hmm. i'm gonna have you read the rest of the cosmere and she whined and complained (laughs) do you know why she wanted me to read seven whole books between oathbringer and rhythm of war and i said no 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 that's mistborn the will of ascension the age of heroes the alloy of law uh, I can't read all the rest of them from here, but the other two Mistborn, and I don't know what the other seven books are, but like, geez Louise, Megan, I just want to go from Oathbringer to Rhythm of War. Okay, That's all I like, want out of my life. Like, you should know that the the whole Mistborn trilogy is thousands like, of length, pages long. Is the length of one of these books and how long does it take us to read one of these books but the thing is is we've been doing this for three years we wouldn't be covering it at that same rate we would have one episode where we talked about all of the first mistborn trilogy and one episode where we talked about all of the launchers and one episode where we talked about all of the second mistborn trilogy Hey, should we know that we're 20 minutes into our podcast actually get into what our i'm ready let's do it here we go, book three, Oathbringer. Prologue. 
to weep. Mm-hmm. <gasps> I so, just thought of something else that I should yeah. have predicted. What if Naylin goes after Eshenai in the caverns? Like he raised Seth from the dead. Is he going to raise Eshenai from the caverns and turn her into one of his radiants? No, but if she's, a, if she's, if she's possessed by the evil spren, he wouldn't want, I don't know. Okay, sorry. I just so, went off on a tangent. I will say what we saw of Naylin is he very much follows the laws of the society where he's at. And I don't think Esh and I broke any Parshendi laws during the fight. So I don't know why he would go after her. No, sorry. When I say go after, I mean recruit her. Oh. Like he's recruited Zeth. Well, since the Radiants are aligned with Honor. hmm And the Parshendi are aligned with, at this point, the listeners are aligned with Odium. Mm-hmm. No, but we discussed this in the previous episode. She fell to the bottom of the chasm. Odium right. Spren got knocked out of her. So yeah, you guys, here's what Emily said. Is that Eshenai fell off the cliff. And when she hit the bottom of the chasms, it knocked the Odium Spren out of her. And she's <laughs> she's fine she's and completely fine. unpossessed. And happy to go along her normal merry way. Yep. So... The prologue to Weep. The image we have before the chapter is the same that was used for Eshenai's interludes in the last book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily, tell me about Eshenai's chapter. This was delightful, and it makes me so sad that Eshenai was not Yasna Kalin's scholar. Mm-hmm. She would have loved it. Well, I think she would have loved it. I don't know that Yasna is the right teacher for her, but the idea of having all that knowledge at her fingertips. Like at one point, Eshenai sees a map and she almost weeps just because that knowledge is just there. Things that she never knew. Like she thought when they traveled from the Shattered Plains to Alethkar that she'd reached the end of the world. But like Alethkar and the Shattered Plains are like on the last fourth of the map and there's still a whole other world to explore and she's just so excited. She's so earnest. She's in work form right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's just so excited about all of this. And uh, wait, real fast, I, I forgot to mention the so the the chapter title is like I said, to weep. Yasna's prologue was called to question, mm-hmm. and Zeth's prologue was called to kill. So this is what they do in each of their yeah. Got it. This, got it. There's a pattern. I love this take on Eshenai. And this is such an interesting thing that Brandon has done because we really got to know her over the course of book two. I mean, even before she was possessed, I guess, by the storm sprint. Yeah. (laughs) And so we kind of got an idea for who she was, who she has become. And we were really used to her being this way. And so then we're worried when she's possessed by the sprint because she's acting so much differently. And so as I'm reading this prologue, we get just this other wonderful window into who Esh and I used to be. And as I'm reading it, it made me pre-sad for what is going to happen to her over the next six years. Um, I just thought that was a cool a cool way instead of like being like, oh, here's the Esh and I you remember from book two. It's like, here's an Esh and I you haven't even met yet. And I don't know, I thought that was really cool. And so like, we know that the listeners can change forms. So do you think... 
um, at some point in this book, we will see... Because, like, there's there's a lot of stuff set up with Eshenite in the previous book that she's hearing another voice in her head screaming, trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Do you think there will be a way for her to break her possession? And if so, how? I hope so. I don't know if there is, like, an anti-Spren Fabriel, which I don't see how that would work if Fabrials are powered by Spren. But I'm just trying to think okay. how to, like, get, yeah, how to get it out of her. If it's, like, I don't know shock her or I don't I don't know or trick it into coming out and possessing somebody else or you know is it stormlight if she starts if she's surrounded by stormlight I mean I don't know what the opposite of this spren is maybe they could it's like okay so I went to story makers and one of my really good friends Jane taught a class about medicine through basically the history of the world and she talked about, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of wandering womb, which is what they used <laughs> to believe about women is that uh, your womb would wander all over your body and cause issues wherever it landed. So like if you end up having like shoulder or lung issues, what they would do is put something really bad smelling where they thought the womb had traveled to and then would like tie something really good smelling to where it is supposed to be. <laughs> to like coax it to come back down and fit in its proper place. I don't know if there's so something funny. you can use to draw the sprint out like that. I don't know, but something like that. That's so funny. So funny. <laughs> okay. Um, what smell, Emily, would attract your <laughs> womb back to its proper I don't place? I don't know. I don't I I don't know. That is not a problem I've ever thought to even entertain before. Probably plain vanilla for me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if they did those those fancy donuts. Yeah. Mm, but I don't think that's my favorite smell in the world. Probably like a Disneyland smell. Ah, Pirates of the Caribbean water. No. <laughs> But you know what? Chlorine of a pool. I could I could see that. I, let, okay, let's be honest. The smell of gasoline, right? It's so <laughs> <No>. good. <laughs> Eshenai is proving here that she is perfect as a scholar. Um, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, the only reason that she is the warrior is because she has shard plate and blade. And that's the only reason that her tribe her group of people like she leads them because she has the proper equipment but i think even in work form she's just fascinated by all the things she could learn and she's listing all the things she's learned about humans that they only have one form and isn't that amazing and just she talks about how wonderful and incredible she thinks humans are and she's so excited because she's traveling to the city of Kolinar to see this peace treaty signed and everyone's so excited and I love the way that she interacts and they're talking about singing to the song of awe and um curiosity and just it seems it's this big you know what it reminds me is the final scene in the phantom menace when everyone is dancing in the streets and there's a parade and just yeah everyone's just so excited and it's so happy that they're going to be signing this peace treaty and woo so she's looking around and she's again incredibly awed by the art and everything and she's like oh 
could we do this if we could find the proper form? Because right now they've got mate form, work form. I think they named one more. Uh, war form. I know those are three at least they've named. So, But they mentioned the five later on, so I'm sure they have all those five forms. But if you remember in Words of Radiance, there's a group of... There's a group of Parsendi who are trying to find art form and are not having a good time about it. <laughs> she's just amazed by it. And so she's going through and examining rooms and looking in rooms. And she stumbles upon King Gavilar and like a, not a war party, but kind of like a group of advisors. And they're looking over maps and they see her and she pretends to be, I don't know if she pretends to be. She says, sir, language? Yeah, sir, words, don't be coy, the soldier said. You're one of the interpreters. Come in, you aren't in trouble. And she's surprised that they know so much about her. They, the king knows her name. They know who she is. Like, she apparently has this huge knack for the language. Not many of the listeners can do that. And so she's kind of considered to be one of the more important, in their eyes, the Parshendi, but she's one of the more important listeners in the group because... I think she might be one of the ones that made this happen. If she's so good at the language and can kind of interpret back and forth. I wonder mm -hmm. if she even met Yasna. Like, that would be interesting to me. Yeah, she's meeting Gavilar and she says she didn't understand this man. It was more than his alien dead way of speaking. More than the fact that she couldn't anticipate what emotions might be swirling in there. As war form and mate form contested within him. More than any human, this man baffled her. Why had he offered them such a favorable treaty? And it just shows how smart she is. I really like the way that Brandon is doing this because he's showing, not telling us she's smart. He's showing us her train of thought. He's showing us, you know, the observation she's making. And I just, I really liked that. Mm -hmm. Can we jump back a little to talk more about Esh and I talking to the Parshman? Yes. Okay. Just that we we saw some of this from the Alethi's point of view in the book, in the first book where Yasna um, was telling, where Shalon was reading Yasna's transcriptions of Gavilar's account at how curious the Parshendi found the Parshman. Mm -hmm. And it's just sad. Um, Gitgith's, one of Eshenai's friends, is like, the little rhythmless ones want to be near us. It's just sad. I'm sad about this. That's kind um, of all I had. Okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have one very important question for you, Megan. Uh huh. Do you resonate with Esh and I at all? <sighs> because I. Now. I... <laughs> now. For her attitude and personality, <laughs> I would say no, mm -hmm. but I suspect <laughs> that there's a trait in her that you believe we share. <laughs> I do. No, Emily, why would I resonate with Esh and I? <laughs> says, everyone was used to Esh and I wandering off in the middle of the jobs. <laughs> and now. listeners, if you don't know this. That's Megan to a T, especially as a child. We would be off at a museum or the zoo or wherever and suddenly big panic because Megan is gone. She has just disappeared. There was never a big panic. There was a big panic because 
as the eldest, mom's always like, where is your sister? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it happened again. Um, it even also, happened when you were a teenager. You were 16 years old. and You, uh, you all left me at SeaWorld. <laughs> I was just staying by the dolphins. And you all left me. I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> Oh, what can I say? I'm a, I'm a, I go where the wind blows. Okay. Serious question for you. I was a little confused in, in one of these exchanges because he is showing Esh and I a new Fabriel, which is basically, I think a giant ruby, which is supposed to replace fire. So it won't be as smoky and you can have a constant sort of heat and light, which we did see in the second book. Kaladin sees this giant ruby in the fireplace and you know it's something new that he's never seen before Navani obviously perfected it but Gavilar is showing this to Eshenai and he says can you see what's moving inside it's a spren that is how the device works so Megan uh-huh we had talked about this before we had and I don't know if you straight up lied to me <laughs> perhaps i omitted certain truths but anyway finish your question because i was worried about the spheres the money spheres they glow because of stormlight i would assume i had assumed that fabrials also glowed because of stormlight but if they are run not on stormlight but on spren do the Fabrials last as long as the life of the Spren? Like, how is this working? Because I'm, I'm getting into, like, for me, squicky territory. So, we will learn more about Fabrial science. Okay. But this is the first time we've learned that every Fabrial has a Spren inside of it. That is brand new information. Okay. Having... Sorry, not, sorry. I was very fast to say every Fabriel has a spren. Um, because I don't think soulcasters have spren. I think the Fabrials that do a specific thing, having a spren inside of them, that is fairly new. Okay. They can be refilled with Stormlight. I do not know how long a Fabriel works. Okay. Because spren aren't perfectly human. And as we've seen with Sill, they can appear to die but that makes them just go dormant. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can be resuscitated. Maybe they can't. Um, I don't know. And okay. you won't know for a while. I'm going to guess that they can because all of the old shard blades, the dead shard blades, have a spren inside of them. And I would hope that they could be rekindled. Quick clarity. The old shard blades are a spren. They do they're, not have a spren inside sorry, of them. They the are dead a spren, spren taking a shape. Yes. Hoping they can be revived. But here, here, Gavilar is being super not cool, man. He is just like, hey, we don't have time. I have something very important to tell you. I'm being watched, but I'm trying to accomplish this amazing thing. And you know what this amazing thing is? It's bringing back your gods. Aren't I amazing? Ugh. No. <laughs> He's not. Hey, Emily. This is your first scene getting to see Gavilar and talk with Gavilar. What's your impressions of this guy? Oh, sorry. I guess we did see him a little bit in Yasna's flashback. But what are your impressions of this king? 
Well, here's the thing. Hearing about him from so many other people, it was interesting to see how like hero worship had really like come to pass, especially hearing some of the background from Navani about inferring about how he used to be and how like he cheated on her and things like that. And so him having this sort of attitude doesn't surprise me. And I'm not saying he deserved to get murdered. That is not what I'm <laughs> saying. I'm saying I'm understanding now better why he was assassinated. Because <laughs> she's telling him, this is a really bad idea. And he's like, oh, you, you, you dummy. It's not. It's amazing. I'm amazing. This is going to be the greatest. I am going to. And it's all about like me, me, me. Here is everything I am going to accomplish. And he pulls out the, he pulls out the dark not the dark crystal, but he pulls out the dark sphere. And Meg, I think I asked something while I was reading this. Is is it like a gemstone or a, or a money stone? Or does it have a bad spread in it? Because it's just, it's darkness incarnate. Okay. Um, Eshenai says she recognizes what this is from the songs. She says... Okay, so Gabler shows her this dark sphere and says, Take that to the five and explain what I told you. Tell them to remember what your people once were. Wake up, Eshenai. He patted her on the shoulder and left the room. She stared at that terrible light and, from the songs, knew it for what it was. The forms of power had been associated with a dark light. A light from the king of gods. She plucked the sphere off the table and went running. Yeah. But here's the thing. She does. She goes to the five, uh-huh. tells them, and this is kind of what sets off the assassination of Gavilar. But, it, okay, at one point, she has to have given that back to Gavilar because he has it on him when he's assassinated. Unless there's I'm more than one. I'm pretty sure, yeah, he wouldn't make, he wouldn't give away his only one. Got it. Got it. Okay. okay. It's my collection. <laughs> so earlier when they were talking about the parchment who are enslaved, they're talking about how horrible they feel that slavery is. And they're like, this is terrible. This is awful. And, and as an experiment, one of them went to the market to try and buy a human slave just to see if he could. No restrictions. He got one right away. Mm-hmm. Emily, who did he happen to buy? He happened to buy Zeth. Um, and <laughs> this is who they use to assassinate Gavilar. And I think I had, I, if I remember correctly, at the beginning of The Way of Kings, I had guessed that the listeners were paid off to take the rap for Gavilar's death. But we learned, I think in book two, that they were the ones responsible for it. And here we see a little more solid reasoning as to why they did that. Yeah, Clade's slave was an assassin. Okay, here, here, Megan, here. Yep. Listen to yep. me. I am. Clade claimed that a voice speaking to the rhythms had led him to the man who had confessed his skills when pressed. Venley had apparently been with Clade, though Eshnai hadn't seen her sister since earlier in the day. So, my suspicions of venley have increased even more if she just happened to be there when zeth was purchased <laughs> but uh, is she manipulating something did clade really hear a voice like who 
who i mean is this is this teravangian you know i don't know making things come to pass with the diagram like i don't believe teravangian made the diagram until after gavilar's death oh okay so i'm wondering what has set this in motion what voice has set this in motion what is going on keep a weather eye out as you read and find out but these are, Emily, these are all fantastic questions. Thank you. What an amazing job. All right, let's get started on part one, United. Now, there's another map. There's another map. First thing. Mm-hmm. Emily, tell me about this strange new map. So it looks like, I mean, your theory is in the middle. And it looks uh-huh. like a, it's at a weird, it's at a really weird angle. Um, I mean, it looks like each country is drawn out but they're not like you it's not the right map i'll just say that yeah, it's not it's correct. not it's not accurate it's it's very stylized mm-hmm. and it's not to scale at all but i'm assuming this is where what cities each of the oath gates are in yes yeah, so at the bottom right it lists out locations of the 10 oath gates mm-hmm. and emily can you read to me the ten. Where are the ten oath gates? All right. Uh, Shattered Plains, Narak, Alethkar, Kolinar, Yakaved, Vedinar, Reshi Isles, Kurth. So, like the second word is like under them in parentheses. I don't know if this is an old. City I'm, I'm going to help you out. Okay. Top word is the country. Bottom word is the city. Oh, oh, okay, got it. Babatharnam, Babatharam. How do you say that? Babatharnam. Oh, like that. And Paratham is the city. Erie, the country. Rall Elorum is the city. And then Shinovar doesn't have a city. Is the entire country of Shinovar an oath gate? Rafo. Okay. Amia, Akina, Azir, Azirmir, Thyatic. Wait, no. Thalina. Thalina, Thalin City. Apologies yeah. profusely for the ones that I definitely did pronounce incorrectly. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, Emily, chapter one, broken and divided. Mm-hmm. Can you give me the epigraph, please? Love to. This is from the Oathbringer preface, apparently. It says, I'm certain some will feel threatened by this record. Some few may feel liberated. Most will simply feel that it should not exist. So... Each of these books by Brandon Sanderson Uh are titled after books in the world. Mm -hmm. And we have heard quotes from Way of Kings and Way of Kings. And we had epigraphs from Words of Radiance and Words of Radiance. But not till a little bit later in the book. We, however, are starting right out with the Oathbringer preface. Mm -hmm. Emily, who wrote Oathbringer? I'm going to guess it was the same king that wrote the Way of Kings. Okay. The one Noadon. that Noadon, yeah, like the sequel to the Way of Kings. <laughs> mm. Can you read just the first line of this chapter because it's really good? Yep. Delinar Colin appeared in the vision, standing beside the memory of a dead god. What? That's such a good line. <laughs> so anyway, basically, uh, Delinar has is able to go back and replay all the visions he had. But like a holodeck. Yeah. 
he basically, I mean, the, the voice is just repeating things that he knows. And he's like, by this point, he has it all memorized. And he asks the Stormfather, hey, can you take me down there? <laughs> this poor Stormfather. He's just like, that's not part of the vision. Like, that's not what you're supposed to be looking at. And Delinar's like, I don't care. Take me there. To carry on the, the Star Trek metaphor, it's like, here, let's go look down at the bottom of the clip. Beep. Error. Area is not within program's parameters. <laughs> exactly. Dalinar has the weight of the world on his shoulders, as per usual. He's like, no one believed me. The uh, terrible things have all come to pass. The the huge Everstorm is coming around. It's going to sweep through Shinovar and everybody, you know, everything else. And they themselves on the Tower of Yurithiru are safe from the... They're safe from all the storms. And... The temptation, I think, to would be just, well, we're safe. No one else listened to us, so we're not going to go down and do anything. But that's not so, the sort of person Delinar is now. He's very much like, well, how how can we fix this? How can we help other people? Like, you know, I think it's very admirable. So after the Stormfather, you know, transports him to a different part of the vision, uh... Dalinar is able to see that there's like scrapes and gouges on the stone walls and he says the wind blades had been smashed and like the first thing that came to mind was like like power wind windmills sort of a thing do we know mm-hmm. yet what what those um, are my guess would be that they're kind of like wind breakers mm. that uh because Kolinar is one of the farthest eastern cities and it gets hit by storms the hardest mm-hmm. and my guess is that the wind blades serve as a buffer to kind of break the storm up as it passes over the city that's what i thought when i read it we may find out more details later what they are because i'm thinking if we have if we have uh soul casters if we can get them to shinovar in time to throw up uh, I mean, this would take so much energy, so many gemstones, so much effort, but to throw up a mountain range in front of Shinovar to try and protect it from the storm. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to all the chickens, Megan? <laughs> Bald. <laughs> like Zeph. <laughs> I'm really interested to meet more Shinovarians. Uh, and just see more of their culture. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, back to the the gouges. Dalinar's like, oh, I saw some of these creatures in my visions. Like creatures of stone that just like rip themselves up from the ground. And so I have a feeling those are going to be coming back into play. So he is trying to be a detective and trying to, you know, gather data, data, data. I cannot make bricks without clay. <laughs> and he's like, okay, everything... You know, and Stormfather's like, it's not important. And Dalinar's like, everything in this vision was placed by honor. Mm -hmm. And even though if he didn't mean to put it there, his worldview and his knowledge shaped how he arranged all of this. Yeah. Which is a really cool, like, a cool way to think about it. Um, Because back to our discussion about what kind of eggs do you put in an ancient recipe, Mm -hmm. there may be some things that honor did on, you know, on default, on autopilot, that could lead Dalinar to something important. Um, Stormfather is going to pull him out of the vision when the storm hits, but what does Dalinar say to him? Uh, He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to leave. He wants to meet the storm head on. 
Let me feel it. Let me feel it. Oh, sorry. We skipped over one one thing really fast. Oh, sorry. You go. Dalinar's kind of going over his to-do list of everything he needs to do. Because uh, no one's listening to him. Kolinar apparently is consumed by riots. The queen has gone silent. Uh, oh. You know, they barely survived the battle with the Voidbringers. Most of the High Princes didn't even come to join that battle. The war is coming. The desolation is coming. Heralds are supposed to come here. Knights Radiant should have already been here. But, you know, they're it's just a little slow. Um, <laughs> they're learning. <laughs> Instead, Dalinar had only a handful of new radiance, and there was no sign of help from the heralds, and beyond that, the Almighty, God himself, was dead. Somehow, Dalinar was supposed to save the world anyway. And I, I don't know how I feel about this, because in the last two books, many people have pointed out, Dalinar, you take everything on you. You need to learn to delegate. I don't know how you're supposed to delegate something like this. Like, like the wheels of bureaucracy moves so slowly. And like Dalinar is a man of action. Like he understands the urgency of this. So I don't know how he's supposed to delegate this or if he's like, I mean, he would be the best man for the job just to say, you go here, do this, you go here, do this. But people haven't been listening to him. It's just, it's, it's bad all around. It's, it's rough out here for a bondsmith. Mm-hmm. But you were saying that Dalinar doesn't want the Stormfather to pull him out of the storm. He meets he it head on. He wants to feel it like an edgelord. Mm-hmm. He faced it head on, and in the blast of power that ripped apart the ground, he saw something. A golden light, brilliant yet terrible, standing before it, a dark figure in black shard plate. The figure had nine shadows, each spreading out in a different direction, and its eyes glowed a brilliant red. And, like, Dalinar realizes right there, that's the enemy's champion. That's not the, that's not his, the enemy itself, but that's definitely the enemy's champion. And then the words come up again, unite them, they are coming. Or it says, unite them quickly. And Dalinar's like, what was that? He's asking Stormfather. And Stormfather's like... I didn't see anything. What are you talking about? So I'm wondering if this is a vision within a vision or if the real storm god whatever is still around. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, it's like a it's Dalinar like an escape sees room. Some, yeah. <laughs> it's like an escape room where like you solve one piece of the mystery and the next box pops open with the next clue. Dalinar looks into the eyes of this champion, and he sees something familiar. Is it because, one, he knows the feeling of determination before going into battle? Two, is this champion someone he knows? Oh, I don't like either of those. Great. We don't even have to think about it. I'm sure it won't come to that. But the... We're told that the nine shadows represent the unmade, which, Megan, you flagged for me. Yes! Because <laughs> I was, like, halfway through this book, and I'm like, what are the unmade? <laughs> oh, do you remember when you read this book for the first time what you thought was going to happen? No. Okay, that's okay. I mean, like, sorry, not overall, not specifically. I, and this is going to sound silly, like, when we get in and it's, like, so much action, but I thought it was going to be more action than it was. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I cried 
through, I, okay, I cried through the Branderlanch, not because of the content, but because of like the visuals. And I was like, there's physically no way I could ever draw all of this, <laughs> even though I wanted to. And who wept for there were no more worlds to conquer? <laughs> not Marie. Marie drew it and it's beautiful. <laughs> uh, Dalinar comes out of the vision to Navani. And he just starts talking about how beautiful she is. And I love how much he's in love with her. And then he's like, oh, I shouldn't just talk about her beauty. I should talk about how smart she is, too. It's like your brain exploded all over your face. Uh, But Navani is kind of obviously on Dalinar's side. She's just like, okay, you got a little more information. But really, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? She's just like, we have no way to like... Like, our supplies are going to run out. And he's like, we'll just use soul casters. And she's like, they're eventually going to run out of gemstones to, like, turn into food and things like that. And 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 finally, he's just like, you're right, and we'll figure it out. Like, I really like this. That, like, both of them, like, as I was reading this, I couldn't help but, like, put myself in their shoes and just be like, wow, the temptation to just not do anything for me, would be very strong. Like, eventually, I mean, you, you, you've got to save the world. But just for, like, can I just have five minutes? Yeah. We just made it to Yuradero. <laughs> we, we found a legendary city no one else believes in. Mm-hmm. Can we just? Oh. But Dalinar wants to open up each of the ten oath gates. The problem is you have to have someone here in Yuradero to... Open. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Unfortunately, their research determined that a mechanism inside each of them had to be unlocked from both sides before they'd work. So wait, how did Shalon get the to your Nat Naughton gate? Uh, sorry, I can I can answer this. Okay. The Nat Naughton gate was unlocked already. Got it. Because that was apparently the last place anyone had used to travel. Makes sense. Um, but at at Eurythera right now, the nine other gates are locked up. Mm-hmm. So the Nat Naughton gate was still open, and now they need someone here to unlock it and there to unlock it, turn two keys at the same time. Yep, yep. Okay, so they're, you know, thinking about, like, somehow we're going to have to go to each city and figure that out. But in the meantime, who shows up? We're making a podcast. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> a messenger shows up. Sorry. A messenger shows up. And she has some capital N news. Something has been discovered in the tunnels. What is it? It's a body. And they know (gasps) whose body it is. Whose is it? It's Sadius. They found the body already. Well, it took them a couple days. (laughs) (laughs) But now into chapter two. One problem solved. Who narrates this chapter? This is Adolin. Oh, my gosh. Wait, I'm so sorry. I forgot to read you who the narrators are for part one. Mm-hmm. So jumping back, the part one narrators are Dalinar, Shalon, Kaladin, and Adolin. Yay! Our classic narrators. Uh, the epigraph says, I needed to write it anyway. <sighs> so again, referring back to the first chapter saying some people aren't going to be happy about this being written. Yep. But Adolin Colin is being great, and he's being, he's our logistics coordinator at this moment. He is 
like basically Navani has figured out where we can put different things. And instead of just piling everything into one big room and then later sorting it out, what they are doing is telling people if you have this specific item, it needs to go to this level and this room. If you have this specific item, it's going to go to a different level, that sort of thing. But the problem is no one seems to have gotten the memo. And so listen, Adolin is frustrated and I completely understand because like people are trying to drop off wine and stuff here. And he's like, no, the taverns are on a different level. Didn't anybody fill you in on this? And everyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Do you know what your theory reminds me of and what I pictured the most when I was first reading it? Mm -hmm. Babylon 5. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Where it's like just kind of held together and people are trying to figure out things as they go. No, like the shape of it, and this is what the different floors look like, and, and I pictured, you know, a bunch of decks stocked up on top of each other. Got it, got it. Uh, anyway, Adolin's tried to distract himself from something that happened a couple days ago. Yeah. Uh, wait, before we do that, sorry. Um, uh-huh. One other thing. He's directing everything, and he is... It's funny because a lot of people died. I mean, like... A lot of people have died. That is very funny. No, that's not what I meant. Um, A lot of people have died, and so there's really not as many people around to take over all the jobs that normally would be done by certain classes of people. And so the men that are being forced to draw water from the well are highly put out. Their noses are out of shape. It's just not done. It's not just because of death. It's because they have no more parchment. I was getting to that. Yes. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Emily, why is it like this? <laughs> because they don't have any parchment. What uh, happened? So the... Wait, I'm serious. What happened to the parchment? They they left. They they uh, turned into storm form. Yep. There you go. So Adolin is just like, well, we could start, we could start a guild... You know, like, we'll make it official so it's not beneath you. But Adolin's also thinking, like, we do need slaves to do this, but I can't just turn people into slaves. Like, you shouldn't be able to just turn people into slaves. And I'm like, oh, interesting, Adolin. Yeah, I want to jump back to Moash's backstory. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how he got to Bridge 4? Yeah, he applied to the army, and instead of... Sending him to be trained as a soldier, they just sent him mm-hmm. to the bridges. So you should know that Moesh enlisted with a whole group of men. And they just, no rhyme or reason, sent some of them to be soldiers and made the rest of them bridgemen. They hadn't done anything wrong. It was just, we need more bridgemen today. You guys get to live and you guys get to go to the bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that interesting that Adolin's only thinking about this now. I mean, listen, I don't want to put all of this on Adolin. Like, Adolin, why can't you see the flaws in your own society and fix them single-handedly already so we don't have to worry about this? Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's interesting that he's, that this is being, think, it's being thinked about now. <laughs> it's, it's, he's thinking about it. It's it's like that line from Twisted where Princess Jasmine is like, you have to clean this all by yourself? Wow. Poor people need slaves just as much as rich people do. Mm-hmm. Maybe even a little bit more. 
but yeah, the, the economics, what's their society going to be like now that they don't have unpaid labor, like yeah. enslaved labor? Yeah. Uh, I think people could start charging a lot to do the work of the parchment that used to be done for free. And I think people will pay it. Yep. But yeah, Adolin is doing a lot of work, mainly to distract himself from one very important thing that happened. What happened? Well, because I killed somebody. <laughs> For starters, there was a murder. He's just like, did I really do that? Did that really happen? Like, like he's still in shock over this, and I'm still of the opinion that something made him do that. Something similar to the thrill, or something, maybe something that's in Eurythero. Like, why was it abandoned? Is there something there like Moloch, like a spirit that makes people do stuff, like murder each other? Okay, so there's a spirit living in Eurythiru that there's a murder spirit. Yeah. And it wasn't Adolin's fault at all. Uh, so I'm hesitant. I, I like I I'm, like this. I like that. Because you did point yes. out last book, it feels like it was out of character. Mm -hmm. That's fun. Okay, pin pin that. Pin that. Okay. The devil made him do it. <laughs> but um, someone comes running up and they're like, "Hey, we need you. We found something." And Adolin immediately is like, "Yep, I know what that is. Who could it be now?" But anyway, uh, there's about to be a fight when Dalinar shows up. It's going to be Bridge Four versus Sadius's guards. Mm -hmm. Because Bridge Four were the ones that found Sadius's body. And Sadius's men are just like, well, you obviously killed him and are just saying that you found him. And they're about ready to murder Bridge Four. When Dalinar comes in with his dark sunglasses and makes a pun... <laughs> And starts pointing out all the CSI evidence about like, hey, this blood is congealed. This has been, he's been here for a long time. Like he's been around the battle enough that he knows kind of at what stage everybody, you know, like bodies decay at or what blood, old blood looks like, that sort of thing. But Teft is there. Teft is the one shouting right back at Sadius's men. Um, yeah. But Dalinar's like, hey. Okay, pick up the body, send for his wife. We've got to get to the bottom of this. Like, we... Stop fighting, children. Stop fighting. We're going to figure this out. But, again, Dalinar, Navani, Adolin, Renarin uh, are there. Uh, so is Shalon. Shalon doesn't say a word this whole time, I don't think. Yeah. <gasps> she doesn't say a word this whole time. Is she catatonic? Who knows? <laughs> what Do you know what, though? What? Red carpet once white. I think that's good. Good eye. Because uh, the thing with her and pattern would have happened about a day and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, what What was, you quoted it in our previous thing where she's like, what would you have me be? Would you have me be unable to laugh, unable to cry? Well, I only Things noticed that because... I, I didn't even realize she was there until at the end, Adolin's like, what should Shalon and I do? Like, Shalon hasn't offered any information, hasn't said anything. <gasps> oh, no. Poor Shalon. <laughs> Dalinar's CSI investigations is like, okay, knife through the eye. That's like a battlefield maneuver. That's mm -hmm. like what you do through someone's helmet. And it's like we saw in the previous, it's Adolin just going on instinct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He didn't even use, didn't even use a shard blade. No, he didn't. Because like, imagine if they'd found Sadius dead by a shard blade. There'd be much fewer suspects. Yeah. Kalami is there. K 
Kalami. I don't know how you say it. K-A-L-A-M-I. Uh, I say Kalami. Kalami. You know, it sounds like Navani and mm-hmm. that sort of jive. Her husband Taleb had died in the battle against the Voidbringers and... Oh, Yeah. We liked Taleb. We liked Taleb. Um, but Delinar starts listing off again, like fresh on the front of his mind. I love this characterization. Brandon, this is so good. Where in the middle of this, and, and Dalinar is just still going over. Here's all the people we lost. Here are the reasons that I really still needed Sadius. Uh, but I, you know, this person didn't help me. This person didn't help me. This person died. All of these things. But as he's sitting there being sad about his friend, everyone basically just says like, wow, someone solved the problem for us. This is great. And Dalinar's yep, like, the- what are you talking about? That's not great. <laughs> that's Paloma dropping the chapter title, One Problem Solved. Yeah. Dalinar, like, looks around and he's realizing, like, everyone agrees with her. Exactly. Just no one likes Sadius. That's the funny thing is, like, he seemed to be untouchable just because, you know, he's the high prince. He was very close to the king. He was so smart, so politically savvy. It felt like this guy was going to be around and be like one of the main antagonists forever and now he's dead and no one cares <laughs> ding dong the <laughs> is dead <laughs> and so here's the thing the people that are sat are the people that are loyal to sadius are incredibly loyal to sadius and they are really pissed off that sadius is dead obviously but I feel like a lot more people are going to be relieved. I mean, his the bridgemen, you know, as long as they can be freed or turned into soldiers or something. Dalinar's like, it's time for an object lesson. <laughs> and he takes everyone to the edge of the balcony. The, the bridge four members, everyone who's there. And he does a little look at it Simba moment <laughs> with everyone. <laughs> so he is like, look out at the distance. What do you see? No, that's not what he says yet. Oh, yes, he does. Uh, and he's like, we are above the storms. Likewise, we should be above the storms of squabbles. <laughs> I'm like, nice. This is a man who would be good at observational comedy. <laughs> said it's like observational inspiration. Mm-hmm. And he starts handing out assignments. Mm-hmm. He's going to get stuff done. Yep. And... Um, Aladar, who's one of the high princes who followed Dalinar. One of the two. One of of only two. two. But the other one died. Oh, sorry. One of only three. Yeah. Oh, right. Sabariel. Yeah. Yeah. And Aladar's like, I will follow you anywhere. And and this is the guy who was, no, this isn't the guy who's freaking out. And Dalinar like slapped him in the face. But Oh, maybe not. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember. (laughs) God, (laughs) from our memory so soon. (laughs) But. Aladar is renamed High Prince of... Inf- Aladar becomes High Prince of Information. Which, is that what Sadius was? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. He is supposed to patrol the hallways and build a police force. Mm-hmm. And Sabariel becomes what? The High Prince of Commerce, which makes 100% complete sense to me. Is this... But I'm wondering, is this a new title? Or is this something that Delinar has just taken away from someone and given it to Sabario. Well, um, he hasn't taken it away from someone. Because back in book one, when he was asking to be made High Prince of War, he's like, the different High Princes used to have different jobs. Mm, okay. And 
um, there wasn't a high prince of commerce. Like, there was a title, but no one was currently holding it. Mm-hmm. Now, Shallan has been mightily quiet, but who else has been mightily quiet? Renarin. Who did not get an assignment? Renarin. Typical. <laughs> <laughs> what? What is he and Shallan's new assignment? They are basically supposed to go out and, by trial and error, figure out their powers. And, and oh, Renarin, listen... I love Renarin. I have always loved Renarin. I'm hoping I will always love Renarin. And I I just have so much sympathy here for him because he hasn't, we've talked about this before, he has not ever been given a responsibility like this. I mean, he's always been told, no, you can't come, go back. And so he just kind of gets shortchanged, I guess, on a lot of things. He hasn't had a chance to kind of spread his problem-solving wings or anything like that and so all of a sudden Delinar has given him a really intense I mean it's an important it's an important um assignment but Renard's like I are are you sure because dad you know well I mm, mm," you know he's just like really nervous and Delinar's like I I believe in you because listen it's once again an important assignment but it's also stay back while everyone else does the real jobs yeah yeah. And, and I don't think Dalinar sees it that way. No. But once again, he's not given Renarin anything immediately useful to do. Yeah, it's more theory practice. It's okay, listen, it's kind of like what he's done to Elokar, where he doesn't give hey, Elokar Yeah, he doesn't give Elokar any real power and he does everything himself and here he's kind of like, Well, what will keep what will keep Renarin out of the way? Even though I think maybe Dalinar thinks this is an this is an important this is an important job, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. That's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Ugh. But yeah, no, no Elokar here. Mm-mm. Now we move on to chapter three, Momentum, mm-hmm. a Dalinar flashback. Ah. And now Emily, with the image above the chapter headings, um, like when Shalon had a pattern symbol for modern day and an inverse pattern symbol for the flashback, mm-hmm. we have a colon sigil for Dalinar for modern day chapters and an inverted colonar sigil house colon sigil for the flashbacks emily 34 years ago tell me about this flashback okay so we are seeing kind of the it never specifically states that he turns into the blackthorn but this is Dalinar at a battle and we find out that this is just another country his brother wants to conquer and so Dalinar has shown up with his forces. And it's just, I love that the chapter title is called Momentum because multiple times as Dalinar is just plowing through the soldiers that are there, he's just like, you got to keep moving. You always got to keep moving. You always got to keep moving. You always got to keep moving. Like that's the trick of this. And it made me now, think of something. I will say. Okay. Oh, sorry. Finish your thought. Finish your oh, thought. And maybe, maybe you're going to completely prove me wrong with your, with your thoughts. Um, but the idea of like sometimes when people are running from something or trying to avoid something, they fill up their time with other things. So they are just too busy to think about what it is that is bothering them or something that needs their attention. And I'm wondering if like Dalinar seems like he's very loyal to his his brother Gavilar. He's going where he's being told. But I also wonder, there's two things I wonder. One, is he trying to forget that Navani has chosen Gavilar over him and he's still sad about it or two it 
mentions multiple times in this chapter how he is trying to chase the thrill and it's being elusive and so he just is pushing forward pushing forward pushing forward to find it again what were you gonna say um i was gonna say this is not just some random country that gavilar wants this is the conquering of alithgar oh okay well so yeah this is this is the the saddiest dalinar gavilar conquering and unification of alithgar is just getting started Hold on. I have a question, though. Uh-huh. Let me find it. Hold on. Uh, nearby the fallen bright lord groaned softly. Why, the man said from within his helm. Why us? Don't know, Dalinar said, tossing the poleaxe back to Dim. You don't know, the dying man said. My brother chooses, Dalinar said. I just go where he points me. But, Megan, you're saying this is, overall, the conquering of Alethkar. Yeah. So this is like a neighboring high princedom. This is like a neighboring kingdom. And they're going to conquer it, and they're going to make it part of their new Alethkar. Would you like to hazard a guess as to how old Dalinar is in this? He says something like one of the people he kills seems to be like a younger person, a little younger than him. Mm-hmm. He's not much younger than me, Dalinar thought. Maybe 17. So is Dalinar like 19 or 20 at this point? Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it doesn't specifically say... But I love to imagine that Dalinar is the age in this flashback that Kaladin was in book one. And I love the idea that look at these, look at these two warriors and like look at how they work. Because Kaladin is about as dangerous on the battlefield as Dalinar is. Kaladin's like really clever and he's like really smart and he's so good with the spear. And at this point, Dalinar doesn't have shards. He's Pairing ranks of people apart oh, yeah. with just normal weapons. Mm-hmm. Spren watch. We see a new spren, anticipation spren, mm-hmm. like red streamers growing from the ground. And then a little bit later, fear spren, which we know is purple goo, mm-hmm. mixes with pain spren, which are orange sinewy pain spren. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, this better be a good series. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it so much this podcast. I, I swear. That's like my new book's resolution is to wish list about the inevitable remake less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, it's always in my mind. So Delinar is just a force that no one can, like, no one can stand against. Like, he just, he just runs forward. And if his men can keep up with him, great. Which he assumes they will because they're very well trained. They have to be up to very close to his level. Um... He is just cutting through people left and right. They kill the Bright Lord. They're sad that... Dalinar's a little sad that they can't find the heir. They can't find the the Bright Lord's son. He's escaped somehow. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. That doesn't happen, actually. We'll get to that part in a second. He, he mentions that Gavilar wanted the bright lord's son specifically Mm -hmm. and so you know they've kind of hit the end of all the forces and they're just kind of getting ready to wrap up when suddenly dalinar is it says an arrow appears in his shoulder like he's shot and they are eventually able to realize that this uh archer is like 300 yards away which is like an impossible shot and they go tearing after him and Dalinar gets hit with another arrow and they're running after this guy and you've just seen Dalinar crunch through these people like they're their leaves on the ground you know and you're just like oh we're gonna have to watch a murder up close in real time this is not great 
but he gets up there and Dalinar is like, are you serious? That was you. That was amazing. Come on, show me again one more time how good you are. And he's like making this guy do all these trick shots. And he's like, amazing. You're hired. Come with us. And the guy's like, no. And Dalinar's like, okay, we could kill you. Do you want to die? You want to come with us and work for me, basically. And the guy eventually is just like, okay, I'll come with you. Now, Emily, you mentioned here that we do not see Dalinar become the Blackthorn. Mm -hmm. Can you describe the arrows with which he is shot? I can. Well, okay. Question, before I do that. Being the Blackthorn and having the thrill, those are two different things? Or does he only become the Blackthorn when he has the thrill? Those are two okay. different things. So the Blackthorn is his, like, nickname. Mm-hmm. That's his William the Conqueror. Got it. He's Dalinar the Blackthorn. And I would say that this is the day that name started. Mm-hmm. Because he's like Boromir, just bristling with black arrows. <laughs> it says a, uh, it has a long, thick shaft. It goes straight through the chainmail just to where... Just to the side of where his cuirass met his arm. Um, I'm trying to look for another... I don't see anything else describing the arrow. But it punctures the steel. Okay, this, this one's interesting. It had punctured the steel, but had lost most of its momentum in doing so. The one on the right, though, had cut through the chain and was sending blood down his arm. So they're intense arrows. And they've yeah. got to be heavy um, to be he, shot from so far away and to hit the target. When he finally catches up with the archer, the archer is in a pile of fallen long black arrows. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Dalinar is like a thorn bush of arrows at this point. Got it. And that's where the name, the black thorn, eventually comes from. Okay. So Sadius is there kind of congratulating him, you know, on their job well done. Coral Sadius, resplendent in golden yellow shard plate that had already been washed clean. Oh yeah, Delinar are those arrows. Stormfather man, you look like a thorn bush. Okay, I get that. <laughs> Sadius says, we lost the crown prince. He'll mount a resistance. That would be impressive, Delinar said, considering what I did to him. Sadius relaxed visibly. Oh, Delinar, what would we do without you? So... Like in the previous books, mm-hmm. these flashbacks are a response to what characters are thinking of in the previous chapter before we have them. So this is Dalinar thinking back on Sadius and his friendship. And this is the memory that came from that. Something I do want to point out is, Emily, these dudes in the past are terrible. Yes. That... Uh, they are conquerors and they round up the women in the town and they pillage and they capture and they, it's horrible. Mm -hmm. And Dalinar stops it only because he made a deal about it, but it sounds like this is something in which he's participated before and probably will again. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times in book one, I've been re-listening to our podcast and we talk about book one Dalinar and how great it is to see someone at the end of a character arc Mm -hmm. moving on to a new one. Yeah. And this was a pretty violent flashback and I'm going to let you know past Dalinar is dangerous and super, super violent. What do you think made him into the Dalinar we know today? Is it going to be his wife? So I asked, what do you think? And then you asked me a question back. And I'm going to need some declarative statements from you instead. Okay. So I'm going to assume... 
Well, okay. I'm going to babble for a second because. Go for it. I love the idea of someone coming into his life and giving him love and security and things like that. But I also hate the trope of let me fix him. If I just love him, I can fix him. So I don't know what I want out of this. <laughs> I can make him worse. <laughs> exactly. Or as Mary Shelley said, I can make him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is interesting because I don't know if it's going to be one singular event or if it's going to be a bunch of little things that change his mind, little experiences that change his mind slowly over the course of his flashbacks. And again, because we're so early, we're so early in the story, I don't know which one I would prefer to read more. Because if it was just one event, it would have to be a huge earth-shattering event. I mean, maybe it's Navani just saying like, you're too much. I can't be with a man that's like this. And he tries really hard to be a different man. And then she chooses Gavilar anyway. Um, I don't know if it's something he sees when he's off at war. I mean, like the way I'm thinking is like, if this is a TV show, he'd get shipwrecked somewhere with like a smaller nation and he befriends them and, you know, everything's good. And then he sees the destruction that is wrought when someone comes in and conquers this other city and he gains empathy that way. I don't think that's going to happen. That's like two CW almost, you know, but the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm interested to see what does change him. If it's getting married, having kids, starting to have more empathy somehow. I don't know how he's going to gain that, but. Now, something we haven't really talked about that you know about Dalinar's backstory. Mm -hmm. How did he forget his wife? He went to the Night Spren. Night Watcher. The Night Watcher. And this was the result of whatever wish he asked for. We don't know. Oh, did he ask for more empathy to be good? Do you know what? I think maybe that's something we might <laughs> read and find out. <laughs> So Again, mean. when I ask you for predictions, you can't ask them as a question. You've got to make declarative statements. So I was at D&D &D the other night and I'm still getting used to it. I'm still learning and that sort of thing. But I think I was just like, what if I did this? Can I do this? And our dungeon master goes, so you have to tell me what you want to do. You can't just say, can I do this? You tell me and then we decide. I'm like, ooh. Is that how you play Dungeons & Dragons? The way that you've been teaching me this whole time that I just keep forgetting. All right. Uh, Emily, is there anything else you want to add to this week's reading? I love... Listen, Dalinar came and killed a bunch of people, but I love his attitude about the archer. About... He recognizes talent, and he's like, I want you on our team. Yes or no? Like, it's not like okay, I need to think of the ramifications of this and I need to decide if he's going to be trustworthy or not. But like Dalinar's just like, things are very black and white, you know? Like he's very different from current Dalinar who, you know, has to think things through a lot. Actually. Actually. I would disagree. Okay. I would say this is something that we've seen in older Dalinar when he takes on all the Bridgemen. Oh. Where he sees people for their potential, and um, when he's like, <gasps> hey. oh, Sadius, you've given up such an important advantage that 
Um, and I think Sadius may even be like, you let the archer live? Mm-hmm. That Dalinar can always turn... Dalinar recognizes anything can be to his advantage. I like that. Emily, if you were an assassin archer, would you have joined Dalinar's forces? <sighs> that is a very interesting question. Because, one, I want to live. Flat out, I want to live. I don't know... If I would say yes in the moment because I was, I don't think I would say yes in the moment because I was like, oh yeah, this is a great job opportunity. I'd be like, I want to live. Maybe I can find a way out of this later. Maybe I can assassinate Delinar Colin. You know, I don't know what kind of personality this archer has, but I, I think I would say yes to live another day and fix things from the inside. <laughs> And not only that, but but Dalinar also promises this man, hey, if you join me, we won't ransack the village. Oh, that's right. That's right. And he says, I won't make you shoot anybody that you don't want to. Yeah. So, yeah. If Okay. That would make me feel better about saying yes. If, if someone was just like, if you come with us, we will let all of these people live. And I'd be like, oh, well, that's an easy decision. Yes. Yeah. Well... Uh, I think that brings us kind of to the end of this week's reading. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not going to make you do predictions because we're not super deep into this into this yet. Mm-hmm. Sorry, is Adolin in the group when they're looking at Sadie's body? No. No. I said earlier no. that Adolin said, what do you want me and Shalon to do? It was Renarin that said that. It's Renarin. Okay, it, uh, it says that Adolin is here, but he is also very quiet in this scene, uncharacteristically. Yeah, yeah. He's just in the background sweating <laughs> while Dalinar's like, it has to be someone who's good at hand-to-hand combat and someone who's got such and such training. It I know Dalinar's not saying it out loud, but like Dalinar's making a list of what this suspect could be and it's absolutely Adolin. <laughs> so we we just came off of your great big long Oathbringer prediction episode, so I'm not going to make you do a ton of guesses. We have to talk about the Heralds for this week. Okay. We have to talk about the song for this week and then I'm going to tell you next week's chapter. Okay. So... Chapter one, what heralds are there? Actually, prologue, what heralds are there? Naylin. It's just Naylin. Naylin's all the way down. And Naylin represents... Justice. Justice. Do you think what the Parshendi did to Gavilar was justice? No, I don't see how that... Okay. I I don't see how that fits because I feel like justice comes after an act of whatever betrayal or whatever gavilar technically hadn't done anything yet but okay wait 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 wait. stop 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 stop. let me let me think this through but he clearly had the means to do so and he clearly was doing something that he had no business doing and he was meddling in their affairs hold on i lost it hold on basically he was doing something for his own selfish purposes and not thinking about how it would um, affect others so if you wanted to say like selfishness and the justice comes from like the listeners needing to get justice eh, that doesn't really work so i don't know i don't know how justice fits into this i think it was more All of right. a like hey i'm gonna hurt you before you hurt us and i don't think that's yeah. justice i mean i know they don't want him to do that i'm not saying that they were listen not condoning murder <laughs> I'm saying but <laughs> I get why they would do that and how they feel that would be the only way to stop a king. You know, someone who has all of this power is to just completely remove the dude. All right. Chapter one. Broken and divided. Veda Vedaletive? No. 
Chichenarach. Yes. Okay. All right. Chichenarach is about being brave and about being obedient. And I, I think Dalinar shows great bravery, and he's trying to figure out how to be obedient in the, the face of what he's been asked to do. Yeah. Chapter two, one problem solved. And he's still trying to unite them. He's still trying to obey. Yeah. One problem solved. That's Ishar, the bald dude. Yes, and Ishar is the patron herald of the, give you a hint, there's only three. Bondsmith. Yes. So, um, and, and, and I would say that Dalinar trying to unite them is is doing his Bondsmitherly duties. <laughs> Chapter three, Momentum. It's the dude with the helmet. And it's interesting because um, all three of these chapters, there's only been one herald for each one. Yeah. Sorry, who's the guy with the helmet? Vediv Telenalat. It's Telenalat. And he's the soldier. And I, I think that's a great fit for Dalinar's, Dalinar's flashback. Yep. All right. Song of the week. I want to do nine to five because Dalinar's like trying to coordinate and keep in charge of, of, of Eurythiru. I love it. Okay. So unless there's a song called There's Been a Murder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is somewhere. But yeah. Okay, so 9 to 5 is this week's song in order of Dalinar trying to get your theory organized. Now, I'm going to tell you the names of next week's chapters. They're shorter, so we're reading four chapters next week. Okay. We are reading chapter 4, Oaths. All right. Now, in our first book, you would guess, and then I would tell you who's the narrator for each chapter. Would you like to bring that back for Oathbringer? I would, yeah. Okay. So chapter four is Oaths. Who do you think is POV? Kaladin. It is Dalinar. Oh. I guess Kaladin figured out all his oath stuff in the previous book. Yeah. Um, chapter five, Hearthstone. <gasps> Adolin. Do you remember what Hearthstone is? Isn't it the Fabriel that they have in the fireplace? No. That's the name of Kaladin's hometown. <gasps> So it's a Kaladin chapter. <laughs> it is a Kaladin chapter. Because <laughs> he was going, <gasps> he was going back to his hometown. I forgot that's where he went. <gasps> I'm so excited to read this. That's why he's not involved in the murder <laughs> investigation right now. <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> Which I, I could already tell that'll probably be <laughs> for next week. Uh, chapter six: Four lifetimes. Eight, uh, no, Kaladin. It is Kaladin again. Mm -hmm. And then chapter seven, a watcher at the rim. So the point of view is Dalinar, Adolin, Kaladin, Shallan. No. no? Oh, sorry. Yes, sorry. I thought you were saying for these chapters. Okay. Yeah, in the book, it's Dal in, in book one, Dalinar, Adolin, Kaladin, Shallan. A watcher at the rim. I'm going to say Cap Dalinar for that one. It's Kaladin for that. That one's Kaladin as well. Okay. So we have Dalinar oh, and then Kaladin, Kaladin, Kaladin. I can't wait for him to meet Rashon. Please tell me Rashon's not dead. Please tell me he's alive. I don't think I'm going to tell no! you. No! <laughs> so but mean. Emily, okay, okay. So if Kaladin's going home, mm -hmm. how's his, how, let's say Rashon's not dead. What's their reunion like? I'm hoping, so remember how I wanted the meeting with Amram, like, that he, he was going to see Kaladin, he was going to be shown up, and it was going to be great. I want that, okay, I want, oh, what if one of his parents are dead? Oh, that would, uh, 
the old Kaladin would just go off on a tear and kill the dude, but I don't think that's very honorable. But it is kind of honorable because you're defending your family's honor from this terrible person. But also please tell me that his parents still don't live there. I don't... You have got to make declarative <laughs> sentences! I'm not telling you anything! <laughs> Okay, here's what I hope, 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 is he shows up in a blaze of glory, like when he does the superhero pose landing in front of Dalinar in the previous book, and Rashon is overtaken and is like, it cannot be, and Dalinar's like, I'm, or Kaladin's like, I'm back, bitch. All right, uh, if one of his parents died, who died? It would probably be his, I could see mom or dad 50-50. So he's got even less family than he thought. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, is Laurel still there? I think Laurel is going to be married to Rashone. Okay. Officially. Well, we'll just have to wait and, and then see. she's been poisoning him as okay. revenge. Okay. And then Rashone dies from all the poison and the shock. And Laurel and Kaladin can be together. Because he's a light eyes now. Okay. Great. <laughs> Listeners, that's <laughs> it for this episode. <laughs> Tune in next time for Kaladin and Laurel's passionate makeout reunion scene. Not exactly. She's gonna she's gonna take her hand out of her safe that's, glove. No, and that's she's too racy. That's wind it too through his hair. Much. Too much. They're too just, much. Not passion that. Spren. Stop. You're Passion making me spread everywhere, <laughs> and Kaladin gets down on one knee no. and is like, "Let me take you away into my city in the clouds." Literally, Kaladin has too much guilt to allow himself to be happy at this moment. <laughs> okay, my name is Megan, and I'm gonna get back to drawing fan art. My name's Emily, and I'm gonna get back to working on my book. Oh, you're gonna do so good at it. You're gonna do so good at it. Do you know how I know that? How? I believe in you. I believe in you. Ready? Break!